If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 11. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and teach us today. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we looked at verse 12 together. A familiar verse where we read, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. And the challenge was to be an example. And we began looking at different areas in our lives. This morning we back up to verse 11 and we go through the end of the chapter. And I want you to notice several things that, that he's giving us here. First of all, Paul says, These things command and teach. Now we could back up to the beginning of chapter 4, and you would find he's talking about the fact that people are going to walk away from doctrine. There's going to come a time where people will no longer view doctrine as important. The faith, talking about all the information, the body of faith, not your faith, but they're going to walk away from the scriptures. We're going to see a departure that's coming. And he says, and what they're going to begin doing is rather than understanding the gospel, which is the end of chapter 3, you know, where he talks about, but without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ in the end of chapter 3. And then he says, but not everyone's going to hold to that. They're going to begin moving away from that. And as they go in, as he talks about chapter 4, he says, there are going to be people that begin saying, oh, this is the way things should be. Now, you don't eat certain meats. You don't get married. You don't do this. You don't do that. And he begins presenting a religion that makes people feel pretty good. Why? Because you can earn your way to heaven. But we know that is not the truth. He says that is not the gospel. In fact, that's the doctrine of deceiving. That's the doctrine of devils. Then we came to the end of, of that section, and he challenged Timothy. He says, Timothy, just like in chapter 1 when we studied, here were these men who chose to walk away from teaching and, and feeding people with God's word, and they began getting interested in a lot of other things. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says, I have set these men apart, these pastors, these teachers who were teaching the wrong thing. He said, I've put them apart so that they would learn and they would come back because what they're teaching is shipwrecking the gospel. It's shipwrecking the faith what the scriptures teach, and it's also shipwrecking their faith. We know that we cannot destroy God's word. It will be secure. But we also know it, has, it is not uncommon, as we are in 
different areas of the world where God's word has been covered. The light has been covered. Now, God's word is still God's word. God's word was still there, but the fact was is that people were not hearing it. And so Paul says, it, some of these men are doing this, but then he says, Timothy, beware, verse 7. He says, you beware, you exercise yourself to godliness. You make the effort. When we talk about exercise, we know that it takes intentionality. We do this on purpose. We know that it takes time because it doesn't just happen when we exercise. And we recognize that we, as we do this, it is a focus of what we want to become. And it's very easy for us as Christians, especially during this election decade, seems like, as we focus on elections, we begin focusing on those things and we aren't focusing on godliness. We get distracted. We begin thinking what I really need to do is I need to get out there and I need to work hard to get my person into the presidency. And the reality is we are citizens and we vote. But if we worked as hard on godliness as we worked as hard for our political parties, Fargo would be different. Fargo would be a different place because we would be living our faith and our confidence completely differently. So as Paul is challenging Timothy, we go now to, he says, look, he says, these things, the things that you have already learned, he says, you command. Now, we don't like that. We pull back from that. Because we say, who gives the pastor the right to do anything? Who gives the one who is teaching the right to do this? And the answer is God's word does. And because we have this huge pendulum swing from time to time in Christianity, and don't think that what you've gone through in your lifetime is unique, where you would say, well, I think I've been disappointed by a pastor. I think I've been disappointed by church leadership. Please understand, this was first century Christianity, and they struggled with the same things with men who should have been staying with the scriptures moved aside and they got into something they should not have gotten into and he tells them remember he says first of all beware make sure your services stay the way they should in chapter two make sure your prayer life stays the way that it should chapter three he says don't disparage the office of church leadership he says, this is what these men should be like. And he says, and if you aspire to that office, you don't aspire to something that's bad. It's very good. And then he says, here's what you need to be aware of in the church. Beware of false doctrine that's going to come into the church. Beware of things that are not the scriptures. Then he says, command and teach. You see, there's a twofold process in this preaching one is you need to do what scripture says you ought to feel that god's word is and and you've seen the work of my ministry for two years you know what i encourage you with is god is good it's a blessing to do what god says you hear me say that over and over again but you do need to understand it's also something you ought to do it's not just a coin toss it's not just a choice you need to understand that God, when he saved you, expected your life to become different. So he says, these things command and teach. Now, Timothy was not a teenager, but we saw in verse 12, he says, Timothy, don't let people look down on you just because they are older than you. You be an example. 
And then he goes on then to say, Now, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. I'm going to pause here for just a moment because depending on your background, if you came from a liturgical, if you came from a very structured church service, I found many times people who have come out of those rebel against any kind of structure in a service. But what you need to understand is even what we would call liturgical services are structured because there is a structure given in Scripture. Notice what Paul said. Now, we don't know if the Ephesian church had stopped doing these things or if Timothy was intimidated. Well, we do know he was feeling the pressure from that. And so he said, here are three things that need to be regularly in your service. He says, first of all, give attendance to reading of the scriptures. We read the scriptures. Why do we read the scriptures? Well, if you were to go back in church history, in fact, go pre-church history and go back into Israel, what did they always do in the synagogues? They would get out the scriptures and they would read the scriptures. In fact, Jesus Christ followed that same pattern when he entered the synagogue. Why was the reading of the scriptures so important? Because when we read the scriptures, it reminds us who we are. Let that settle in for a moment. You've rushed hard to get here today. Maybe you've had a lot of things on your mind. Maybe you're frustrated about some things. Let me encourage you with this thought, and that is the Scriptures. When you read the Scriptures, it reminds you who God is, and it reminds you who you are. You are someone who God loves. You are someone who an almighty God, creator, cares for you. And as a believer... It then causes us to think, because of who I am, what should I be like? Sometimes people get frustrated. Either you just read a verse and you say, now go to preaching. But the whole point of the preaching is, first of all, this is what God says. I hope you'll never get tired of the fact that we spend time in our services reading blocks of Scripture and it's because it's to remind us. It gives us hope. God is God. You know, I'm so looking forward to our family all getting together for Thanksgiving. It sounds like, depending on the state's summer end, some governors would like to say, no, you can't be thankful this year. Don't get together. And this morning, as our family was texting, you know the thing that I always come back to? Lord willing, we're going to get together but I'm not going to be angry at our government if my family doesn't get together, isn't able to get together. I'm still going to be trusting God. You see, when we read the scriptures, it puts things in perspective. You remember how the psalmist David said, I was just about at my wit's end, and it wasn't until I came into the house of God that I remembered the end of the wicked, that I remembered my end. And he was blessed by that. So he says, here are three things that ought to be in your service. Give attendance to, devote yourself, be intentional about the reading, the public reading of the scriptures. And then he says to exhortation. You ought to always have heard encouragement when you come to a body. 
When, you, when we meet together, there ought to always be an encouragement that, yes, let's go forward. Our God is good. And then the third thing I want you to notice that he says, and to doctrine, and that is the teaching. Every time we come, he was telling Timothy, Timothy, you, the focus of your ministry is the scriptures. I find that fascinating in Acts chapter 6. That's exactly what the apostles were already doing. If you remember, what did the apostles say? I need some help. The apostle said, we need help in ministering to the needs of people, and the body is the one that can do that. And why did they say it? It wasn't that they didn't like the people. It wasn't that they didn't like ministering to people. The whole point was they said, we need to make sure that we are spending time in the Word and teaching people the Word and spending time praying for the people. You know, as you look at part of our service, some of the things that you see are... Um, scripture reading you're going to hear encouragement you're going to hear teaching of the word you'll see we have an offering box in the back as we worship that is, that's very much the way they did it in the temple where people would come in and as they worship they gave of themselves and I've been so thrilled with how God does that how God has worked through you all to for us to be able to continue doing everything we're doing but I, but I wanted to draw attention to that because you see what we do in our services is intentional we do it on purpose not because everyone else has done it but because these are the things the scriptures say you should be doing now I find it interesting what he was challenging Timothy to do was to publicly read the scriptures now what they were reading was the Old Testament but this was a Greek speaking environment they weren't reading the Hebrew manuscripts. They were reading what's called the Septuagint. I brought a copy with me. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This is what Jesus taught from. Jesus didn't teach from Hebrew. Jesus didn't teach from the original manuscripts. Jesus taught in the common language of what the people could understand. And that's an important thing for us to kind of understand because you notice today, I don't read to you out of the Greek and Hebrew because it wouldn't mean anything to us. Why do we read what we read? We read translations because God wants us to understand what he said. If you've never read the preface at the beginning of your King James Bible, you will begin to understand they say, we're trying to put this into the common language of people to where they understand it. We have to be careful that we don't get into this thought process that language is static and that everyone always is in the same language. What they spoke in 1611 is not what we speak today. Words that they used in 1611 are not the same words that we use today. In fact, sometimes what they meant then and what they mean today are totally different. So as we read our Bibles, it takes a lot of effort. We enjoy, we believe the King James is a really good translation. But could I always remind you, it's a translation. And just as we don't use the Septuagint today, there are other believers who read other translations. That's not sin. Translations are for our benefit so that we can learn 
what God has to say. He says, Timothy, make sure that you give devotion, attention to reading, to exhortation, and then to doctrine for explaining what God's word says. And then here it's interesting, in verse 14 he says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. What he's describing here in verse 14 is he's saying, I want you to think about this for a moment. He said, Timothy, you have been ordained. Now he's going to mention this several different times Maybe in your side column, you'll see. He mentions it in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. He mentioned it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. He's going to talk about it again in chapter 5 where he says, Now, Timothy, you make sure you don't lay hands on any man suddenly. Now, that's not meaning getting angry and shaking someone. What that's talking about is you make sure that men who are going to be in these offices, specifically in the office of the bishop, elder, pastor, you make sure that they're qualified for this. Don't do it suddenly. You make sure that they are ready and equipped to do this. So when you read that, he says, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is in thee. Timothy had been verified, and they knew Timothy was someone who had been called and equipped to be the position of a church officer specifically the officer of the bishop elder pastor that first office that we saw in chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 but you see timothy was beginning to feel intimidated timothy was there were other men remember he was there rebuking pastors who were teaching wrong doctrine and that's a really uncomfortable situation when you're the one who's coming in and those men have been there and you're saying men that's not sound doctrine and Timothy was backpedaling. Now, he was in his 30s. And Paul said, Timothy, don't back away from what God's called you to do. Now, you'll notice in our Constitution, there's a section that talks about ordination. And it talks about getting a council together. Notice at the end of this verse where he talks about with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now, when I was ordained, when Andrew was ordained, when someone puts their hands on you, it's not that there is some supernatural transference, but what they are saying is, we have verified this person's doctrine. We see the gift and calling which is from God. And we agree. The laying on of the hands of the presbytery was literally showing we have investigated and we agree we see this gifting that's there. And that's the reason why you will see churches who ordain. I find it interesting that you never see, um, here in this text you see the hands of the presbytery. Literally it is the group of the elders, the group of the ones. Now, the group of those who are in leadership in the church. We find in Acts chapter 15, there was a group of these men who got together to discuss doctrine, to make sure that the church was not going astray. I find it interesting, though, that we never see that there was a board of deacons. You don't find that term anywhere in Scripture. The deacons had a totally different role. Their role was not governing. Now, look through the Scriptures and see, I've not found that. That's a term we use today, 
but I don't see that it's in Scripture. What I do see, there were groups of elders, but were all of these elders, were all of these men from the same church, from the same local group? Well, obviously they're from Christ's bride, from his body, but what he was telling them was, he said, Timothy, I sent you there to help fix the situation in that local church. And he says, now remember, you had the hands laid on you. But they weren't hands that were laid on him in Ephesus. They would have probably been closer back to where he grew up. And they say, now he says, don't neglect that gift that was given to you. Don't pull back from using that gift that was given unto you. He says, meditate upon these things and give yourself wholly to them. What was he telling Timothy? Timothy, you stay in the scriptures. You stay focused on the scriptures. And as you are applying them to your own life, people will see that God's word is active in your life. And then he tells them in verse 16, take heed therefore unto yourself and unto the doctrine." Two things. He says, Timothy, make sure your life stays in line. You know, as I have, and I'm not going to mention names of these ones because there would be lots we could come up with. You know, I have found many times there are pastors, bishops, elders, whatever term you want to use. There have been pastors who are incredible preachers. I remember in college and in my seminary days, there were times certain pastors, certain preachers would come to town where I was in college, and I would go just to hear them preach. And my heart was blessed by God's word through them. But you know what I found? A number of these men have become useless in the ministry. They have gotten involved in immorality. They've gotten involved in other things that have destroyed their life testimony, their character. And therefore, they're not able to do the ministry anymore. You remember as we looked at chapter 3, what was the one thing we talked about? And that is, you don't find really many statements in chapter 3 about the job description other than being an overseer. What do you find he focuses on? Be the right character. Focus on your life story. And you notice here what he says is he says, first of all, take heed therefore unto thyself. You know, it's very easy as a pastor to begin thinking, I'm the one in charge. You all just have to do what I'm going to say. And we forget that the first thing he tells me to do is focus on me. What am I? And then he says, take heed there unto yourself and unto the doctrine. You see, there are two things that in my life that I am commanded to work on, and that is make sure my life reflects what Jesus Christ is like and make sure what I preach reflects what Jesus Christ is like. He says, continue in them. It's a long-term statement. And then he says, for in doing this, thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. You see, the thing that we can do, you know, we've worked so hard on our Constitution, but the reality is no matter what we put in our Constitution, it's not going to make this church what it ought to be unless we are what we should be. 
you want to look at the illustration in our community, we can make all kind of laws and rules, but does that make our community a good community? And the answer is no. It helps regulate some things. The reality is it's what we are as a people that makes Fargo what it is. It's what we are as a people in our home that makes our home life what it is. It doesn't matter if you go to Lighthouse Baptist Church. It doesn't matter if you go to some other church that has a, their own building, their own facilities, their own prestige. It's what you are. And that's the reason why Timothy was being challenged by Paul. He says, Timothy, don't get sidetracked. Stay focused. Make the main thing the main thing. If you're playing hockey, it's put the puck in the net. Don't worry about what the other players are doing. You don't win by complaining about the other players, do you? You win by putting the puck in the net. In the same way, what we do is dependent on what we are. So as he spoke to Timothy, he said, Timothy, as the leader, as the one who's come in, who is trying to get this church in the right direction, he says, pay attention to yourself first. It wasn't even the church that was the first thing he was to focus on. It was himself. And then make sure what you're teaching is the right thing so that anybody can go back to the scriptures and say, that's what God said. My job is to make sure I'm giving you God's word. Your job is to make sure you go home, verify that if what I said is what God's word says, then you need to do it. And the challenge, you know, what we're learning here is the way a church operates. We've looked at what a church service ought to include. We've looked at what a church officer ought to be like. But let's put this into maybe a practical thing for each of us because it'd be very easy then to walk out and say, well, nothing was for me. But what do we know in our own homes? How do we as parents, how do we as grandparents, how do we as spouses maintain the integrity of our homes? Take heed, therefore, unto thyself. Take heed, therefore, unto thyself. It's really easy to look at our kids and go, boy, if they would just fix this. Very easy to look at your spouse and go, you know, they got this problem. And what's he saying? Make sure, first of all, you take heed to yourself. And second of all, make sure that you're teaching right doctrine in your home. I, I just, I want to always put before you, spend time in God's word. You've got to be saturated with it. You've got to be knowing God's word before you can be giving this to your children, before you can give it to your grandchildren. Make sure it's a part of you. And second of all, make sure what you're telling them is God's word. I, I, I left church to be born. I've grown up in the church. But the reality is, just because I grew up in the church and just because I heard those things may or may not make them true. What is true is this. You need to read it. You need to understand it. And you need to pass it on to your family. He says, if you will continue in them, the Bible app that I use tracks how many days in a row I've read and how many weeks I've been in the scripture. And I was pretty excited. I, the number was kind of getting up there, getting up there, and I do not know what happened, but all of a sudden I was on day four. I told Cindy, I said, I'm so bummed. I said, I think, I think the app ripped me off. 
somewhere in there, I missed opening that app so that it would know I spent time in God's Word. You know what he's saying here? He says, continue in it. I don't know how you keep track of how many days you read the Scripture. I would encourage you, find some way. Mark it on a calendar. Put a little, a little hash mark. Did you read the Bible that day? Do something you say, oh, that's crazy. That is, um, you're, you're just being pharisaical when you do that. No, I'm not asking you to come report it to me. I'm just saying, do you know how often you spend time in the Scriptures? What did he tell Timothy? He said, make sure every day you open your Bible app. Well, no, that doesn't say it here in the Scriptures. What it does say is, continue in it. If it was just you and me and we were just sitting, talking, and we weren't embarrassed by everyone else around here, and I were, you were to ask me and I were to ask you, so how's your Bible reading going? How would you answer that? Would you say, you know, really pretty good. I was bummed. I'm on day four now because I missed a day. But, you know, I was at a, I was at a hundred and who knows what, 180, 190, 200 days in a row. I was at 365. I'm on day four. Would your lifestyle say, I'm continuing in God's word? I'm concerned in fundamental churches, and when I say fundamental, I'm not talking about culottes and length of hair. I'm talking about believing the fundamentals of Scripture, the core values of Scripture. I'm concerned that many people who go to good churches don't spend time in God's word. We don't memorize it. We don't meditate on it. We don't read it. Or we, we get in a minute or two and we think, why am I powerless? You see, as Paul was talking to Timothy, Paul really went after the heart. He said, first of all, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid of what God says. Teach it. Hold to it. Tell people you got to do God's word. Don't back away from it. But then he says, make sure your life is an example. And make sure your life is what it ought to be. So focus on your life first and then Focus on teaching others, because when you do that, you know what? You're not only going to save yourself, you're going to protect those that are around you. People are going to go through hard times. They need someone that they can look to, and that's us. Take heed unto thyself. And pay attention to the doctrine you're teaching Make sure that what you say is right. Because it will not only protect you, it will protect others. These things command and teach. Can I ask you this morning, how's your life? Is it ordered the way it should right now? Every day, we need to be asking that question because too much is at stake. Many of you have invested heavily to see this local body begun. We wanna make sure we stay faithful. We're going to do our best in our Constitution to get it right. But you know what? If we miss something in the Constitution and we are the people we should be, we're good. 
And if we aren't the people we should be, no matter what we've written in that Constitution, we won't be good. You see? Because it doesn't start on paper. It starts in our lives. Take heed, therefore, unto thyself.